Welcome to Property and Investing with Grant and Charlie, the place where we're giving you access to all the strategies, tactics, tools, and journey of becoming a successful property investor. Charlie, did you know that we have a newsletter? I actually didn't because I haven't actually written of any of the newsletters yet, or is it wrote? But the point wrote. being is we're Written. recording the episodes before I actually write the newsletter because I won't know what's in the episode. So how could I write don't, the newsletter? So don't I. Lucky you don't told me, me I better write one. Don't ask me if we've got a system set up to like receive newsletter details yet. <laughs> However, it will be up on propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter because we're efficient. We're smart types of people that would not let a podcast go out without something like that in place. If you want to be on the newsletter, put in your details over at propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Now, before we dive into it, let's cue Charlie's disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Property and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant and I and the Property Investing team are in no way, shape or form qualified to give you financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when comparing investment products or making investment decisions. So one of the things I wanted to do on this show, Grant, is actually bring people on the journey with us. So both of us are building what I would say are fairly large-sized portfolios. So uh, currently I have 11 properties. How many have you got? I got three jumping into my fourth. Excellent, man. It's exciting, right? It's exciting. Now, what used to annoy me a lot is that I would listen to podcasts and like someone had done it like 20 years ago and, you know, be all guru-ish. And I'm like, but what are you doing now? <clears throat> what's happening yeah. like for you now? Like for someone who's doing it now, like what what's actually happening that way? And it's it's actually quite hard to get that information. It it is, and it's frustrating as well <laughs> because it's like they're basing all of their stories and comments off things that were like decades old. It's like no, now <laughs> don't tell me. Don't get past. me wrong. I think it'd be really powerful to get some property mentors that have done the thing uh, quite a duration away. They have a lot of wisdom to share, and it's very helpful. But I also think if you're going to be a successful property investor, you want to build a network of people that are actively doing it because they've, they're dealing with the on-the-ground challenges of today. They're yeah, dealing totally. with what's happening. Yeah, completely. Like if you bought a ton of property 20 years ago, your challenges are very different than the people that are trying to build it today or are in the midst of building it like ourselves. So we're going to be covering uh, what's going on with lending or a bit of W2F. Wait, can we swear? Totally, we can. Do it. Let it out. Don't give me this WTF. Don't be a pussy. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually being reserved because I'm like, what the fuck is going on with lending? <laughs> like, That's what a weird story. week. What a weird week. All right. I'm going to slay this one up and I'm going to let you riff on it because I think it's right, uh, really important. I had been led to believe that now might be an opportune time to buy some property. I had seen some opportunities with my buyer's agent, some very, very juicy opportunities. I'm like, wow, there really are some good buyers out there. And I went and had a look at lending and the experience of going and looking at lending, well, as the name of this episode would suggest, I was quite surprised. What the fuck? <laughs> so, Grant, so I know you, you did the same thing, right? You were involved in these conversations. So what I would love to know, what's your experience being? <laughs> Filth, <laughs> trash. So we decided to pull, you and I decided that we'll pull the trigger around the same time. And we went and looked at different properties. <laughs> we both came back with these two great properties. And I'll put it out there. Awesome places. 
I, by I the have, time. To be clear, I have no problems with the assets. The properties themselves I like and would still love to buy. It, totally. To the point that we would happily swap <laughs> the assets. We're like, hey, I like that one. If you're not going to go, we'll go too. But then when we said, okay, cool, let's go and have a look at the lending options on these properties, uh, which I'm, I'm going to be transparent, they were unit blocks, right? So they were blocks of units and those were the ones that we were looking at. The lending that was on this property was outrageous. Like it almost, it made the deal not, I don't know, not the way that I'd want it to sit in the nicest possible way because I'm trying to be the nice guy here. So uh, I won't. I'm going to be, I'm going to cut straight in on that. I'm going to say right Trash. now that one of the things that I think lets down a lot of investors is they're obsessed with the asset and not the lending. Yeah. Totally. Like the finance is part of the game. Like it's a huge part of the game. If you've got superior finance, the returns you need on the assets doesn't have to be in good. Like it's if I gave you a loan coin. for like 0.1% right now, just like the RBA did not too long ago to the banks, and you can buy properties that yield 2%, you've got a, a 2% spread on the income and the asset value, congratulations. But yep. if you're borrowing at uh, rates we'll talk about soon, like the financing can ruin a deal or make it unsustainable. Totally. But as, yeah, in addition to that, the rates, the size of deposit that you'd have to put on depending on the asset you're looking for, like all of these things just stack up, which is like lending is not a, a tailwind anymore. Like we're starting to walk into a headwind, which it just might not make it favorable for these types of assets. So what were so you I'm, expecting when you took your asset <laughs> to so took your listing to your broker and you said, hey, let's look at get this getting this finance? What were your expectations? So I'm fortunate enough that I've got a lot of borrowing capacity and my property portfolio is all cash flow positive. So I'm happy, right? I'm sitting there, I'm like, to anybody, I've got good earnings, I've got a great cash flow positive portfolio, and I've got a great amount of money that I can borrow. So I'm like, great. Awesome. You're sounding very borrow worthy here. Like, if I was a bank, I'd like to give you money. Completely. So then I'm, I look at, I look at it, and I go, awesome. Like these people know that I know how to buy properties, and they know that that I know how to earn. I'm, I'm a model customer base. And so interestingly enough, the amount that I could borrow was not the problem. I, I was expecting, hey, we're willing to give you. I don't know, like I was hoping for a rate around sort of five, five and a half probably potentially up to like 6% at the time of this recording, which is like end of November-ish. What I got back was 7%. And oh, by the way, we want to refinance all your old home loans across into our banks as well. And you have to put a 35% deposit down. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, 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 what? Because one of my home loans that I bought, like one of the first properties I bought, it's got a fixed rate at 2.6% for like another year and a half. <laughs> like, why would I want to refinance that? And like, well, no, because uh, it, this asset, like, no bueno. And I'm like, you would have to be oh. very confident in the purchase you were making, achieving an outsized return to- it's Significantly. Yeah. And so I looked at that and I said, well, where were these deals that I was seeing from a lending perspective previously of like, 20% downs, like your yeah, 5.5%, yeah, like a big bank's not doing this anymore. Like what are we seeing? And it's just this is the MO. This is the industry. Like it's just the, the lending is now the roadblock to things coming in. And I was just like this just frustrating. It pissed me off. And I'm just like, oh, now I've got to play this game differently. Like what about you? Did you – I think you got something similar. 
Well, I will, I'm actually going to date this episode. So we're recording this at the end of November. The reason I'm dating this episode is there may actually be a December rate rise that comes through that would have the rates and numbers we talk about be like, oh, cool, that's what I would expect. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but let's just uh, date this one from here. Now, being I have so much borrowing already, my expectation, dangerous word, by the way, dangerous, dangerous word, was that I would be able to – yeah, get similar loans to the ones I've got. Like if you've got a whole bunch of mortgages at 5% roughly or 5.2 roughly, wouldn't you expect to be able to get another one at 5.2 from the same bank? Yeah, same. To- you totally would. Right. And like deposit ratios, like again, with the same bank, would you think it would be the same? You totally would assume that it would be the same. Not my finding. Not my finding at all. And I'm sure someone out there right now is going, oh, it's because it's the – Uniblock type thing. And yes, asset does play a role when it comes to lending. It definitely does. But I also had my borrowing checked on this standard resi also and had much of the same experience. Like the rates were significantly higher as well as the deposit requirements. And why I wanted to really like bring this in as an episode is a year ago, it wasn't like that. This is actually like bank policy change. It's not like we've reached a level and suddenly this is what lending is. This is one of those times where banks are really trying to take some risk off the table is my finding now. So to lend money, they're really making sure they've covered themselves and it's going to be a very profitable experience for them. Not so great for the investors out there overall. So I'm curious because I've spoken to people and i I got stories to come in. How are you playing this? How are you thinking about this? Is this – pack up all your cards and go home and it's like, nope, I'm done? Or is this like I'm going to sit on the sidelines and I'm just going to kick it on the bench for a while until this thing becomes fixed? How are you thinking about it? Yeah, so if, if that is the environment that is at the moment, right, what can we do about it or how am I thinking about it? So whenever we look to purchase a property, and I'm, I'm sure there's some cash buyers out there, but in general, like you are going to be taking on debt in some form. It's part of the experience of property. For myself, I actually want to take on debt when I buy a property. It's part of the reason I'm into property. Um, Anyhow, the amount of debt we take on is still a decision to be made. And I think people forget about this is like you totally have the ability to go earn more money and and fund a bigger deposit. Like you don't have to leave a 20% deposit or a 30% deposit. You can leave a 50 if that makes the finance appropriate. So a big change in my perspective is going that in the current environment, If the lending is going to be like this, putting in the deposits I have previously probably isn't going to be high enough to stabilize the cash flow on the assets I'm looking at. If I want to buy more assets like that, I'm going to need to fund bigger deposits. Now, I don't think we've mentioned this on the show, but we're both business owners. So um, one of the things we have the ability to do is earn well in business and then increase the amount we can bring to these deals. So part one for me is I'm shoring up bigger deposits so that I can be more active in this climate because, as I mentioned earlier, I actually like a lot of the assets. I think the assets are fantastic. It's just that I want to get the lending ratio right for me and the type of lending right for me so that I can still put together a great deal that will serve my goals and what I'm trying to do with property. So that's how I'm really thinking about it on one front there. I love it. Uh, Do you want to hear how I'm thinking about it? Absolutely. You can say no, it's fine. Yes. Uh, it's got to be like, uh, oh, should I make another point here or should I ask Grant? Like sometimes when you're podcasting, it's hard to know when, you know, the back and forth versus just keep talking. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, nah, we'll just finish the short episode. All right, yeah. So I, I'm thinking about this a couple of ways. Um, and you're going to be like, 
it's crazy. No, you're not. You're probably going to be like, that makes complete sense. So the first thing that I did was I said, okay, to the point that you mentioned, maybe it's asset type. Maybe it's just that, hey, if I went for a duplex or something like that, maybe it might be different. So what I've done is I've actually gone back to the buyer's agent and I'm just like, hey, from all of your experience right now, based on what you're seeing from lending, et cetera, and the assets that you're seeing availability for, this is my criteria. This is the land that I'm now playing in, which is, to your point, Charlie, the 7% interest rates, the uh, unfavorable deposits, et cetera. Find me something. <laughs> like, this is what I want. Just, I don't care if it takes you two months, three months, five months, six months. Could not care less. Let's find something. There will always be that one thing kicking around and just bring it to me. And so it's more like, uh, I know I want to buy something. I just want it to be more in favor of lending, noting that the lending is the headwind, but it seems like there are good assets out there as a tailwind. So maybe if I put them together, I might actually be able to find a good enough tailwind in a good asset that will offset the shitty headwind (laughs) that is in lending. Um, So that's one of the first things, which I'm like, cool, go out and I don't just, again, just let me know whenever. It doesn't really matter. I'm not in in any rush on that. Um, But the other thing that I've kind of gone to is I've gone and had a conversation with like, I've always wondered who are the people that lend like the doctors and lawyers and surgeons the money for developments? Because for some reason they get these amazing lending rates that are like- Private money deals. I'm just like, you just can't get that. So literally yesterday- I had a coffee with a guy who just helps financing for like dentists to fit out their dental practice or buy a building and things like that. And then they also have like an arm that kind of helps them with developments and all of that. And I'm like, where do they get their money from? <laughs> just tell me where they get it. And yeah. And you know, the rates they're currently getting now for like developments and buying commercial buildings and resi buildings, you know, what are the rates sub five for resi. And around six for commercial. That might be a very worthwhile coffee. Maybe we should change <laughs> careers, Grant. Like I like this idea of doing and, it. Because I was just sitting there. I'm like, there's, there has to be a way. There are, there are things that people know that I don't know. And wh- where are they at? And so I just said, you know what? Go to the network. Let's go and find out. So uh, that is one thing I'm exploring is I'm just like, it's going to be a bit more work for me, but I'm like, I wonder how far I can scratch this to see if there is some kind of better tailwind lending where I can get my 20% deposit, which is what I like to put in for a risk mitigation perspective. But I can also go and get an interest rate that is similar to my, some of my current properties. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is, this is it. Uh, and then I did my third knee-jerk reaction, Charlie, which was like, well, screw it. If I'm not going to buy another property... I'll optimize the ones that I've got. <laughs> so I got the wife to call the property managers and be like, how can we increase rents by like 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 50 bucks a week? <laughs> and then um, there was one home line that I'm not, a mortgage that I've got that I'm not too happy about with the rates. And we might even include it in the email. Like the, the bank that we use have increased it over and above like what the RBA has increased. Like this thing is now just trash. And so I've actually gone to the mortgage broker. Hey, like this thing's trash. And he's like, it is trash. And I'm like, let's go and get this thing done. Uh, and we only bought that place in like May. So what's that, six months ago? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I need, I need new financing on that. That's horrible. 
And so I just looked, I just went introspective and I just said, how can I improve my portfolio and optimize it? Because, hey, if I can't go swing a bat to go and grow the portfolio, I may as well swing the bat to optimize it. Completely. I think that's an underrated strategy is improving the properties you've got. As mm. property investors, I think there's an allure to always acquiring the next one. And you could overgo opportunities in renovating or like uh, other things that may increase the rent or, you know, changing maybe leases or doing things a bit differently with another agent who can uh, do an uplift for you or something like that. So I love that as a strategy. And I actually, I'm a little impressed because when you've looked at the banks, rather than going through the tiers of lenders that are kind of more commonly available, it's like, okay, where else can I get money? Because it's yep. not just banks. There are other types of things out there that are available. And I'll tell you right now, there's someone out there still getting money at 3%. There's money 100%. out there. Yeah. Like how do you, you get know, in front of that? Because in the case of this, like, and I should set up this one here, is that the reason we wanted to buy unit blocks was a cash flow play. I think it's a really critical part to cons in, uh, include in this yeah. conversation. So yeah. when we were looking at buying these unit blocks, the rates of the loans heavily affects the cash flow of the property and hence the yes or no of the deal. Like if you're going to buy a cash flow asset, you'd want to be sure it produces cash flow. If it doesn't produce cash flow, then it's kind of not doing its job. But if you could find either an asset that does like 12% on a 7% loan, so you've got a, a spread in that way, or you can find cheaper lending, it's a way to readdress that. I will also put in briefly here is that um, I went through the same type of thing of going, well, if I can't find a good cash flow asset on this type of lending that's available to me, are there growth strategies or value add strategies that start to make sense? Because I can yeah. live with losing or being negatively geared on a property if it's a redevelopment or a renovation or the plan is to do something for it and sell it at another time. But I think you want to be clear on the type of thing you're looking for when you're kind of buying, right? It makes a massive difference. Have you pulled the trigger? Like have you actively sort of moved your mindset into focusing more into like a growth plan? Like have you started uh, assessing the properties that you do have going, well, is there any renovations or improvements that we could do here? Yeah, have you dropped like, are you like, no, I'm, I'm done from a, a new acquisition? If I may ask, obviously. I'm not done. This is a forever <laughs> game for me. I'll see how far I can take this. Um, oh, but anyway, yeah. to the point is like, I'll, I'll imagine this. I'll use an analogy to set it up here. Uh, you wake up in the morning and it's raining and you've got to go somewhere, right, outside and you, you're walking. You're not in a car just to make it really specific. What are you going to do? Cancel. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe grab a raincoat, <laughs> grab an umbrella. All right, then next, all right, then the next day, because we're in Melbourne, right, we can say this. It, next day, it's 30 degrees and sunny, like, and you've got to do the same thing. What are you going to do? Sunny isn't a hat. Yeah, maybe some sunscreen, right? So yeah. different environment, different strategy. So the way I think about that is like, well, that concept just applies here as well. Like if the environment has changed, like if I've been set up going, well, I wanted it to say sunny forever and now it started to rain a little bit here, doesn't mean that you can't get things done. You just have to reapproach what the environment is suitable for. And it's a great totally. saying in cycling, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad cycling clothing. That's such a cyclist thing to say. It is. <laughs> hey, what, they have yep. different outfits than Lycra? No. Com completely. So what if this jacket. is the time to acquire a renovator or do a development or buy or do something different in ways of strategy? So what I guess I've been spending a little bit of time on is like my, there's someone out there that knows how to get returns differently than I do. There's someone out there that's been 
doing property and like, and again, I'm not going to pretend I have the answers to this, but it's like, maybe I'm the one that needs to change here. Am I going to stay fixed in a strategy that's not going to be suitable? That's a maybe, but I think it's a good thing to investigate. Yeah. I love your concept around like the seasons as well, because I know in your example, it was like the next day, but sometimes it could be like the next month or it could be raining where you are. So maybe you just go to somewhere that might not be raining and in my case, that's kind of what I'm like, hey, buyer's agent, go and find somewhere that's sunny. <laughs> like, go and have a look. The other thing that um, I'm thinking about here, uh, so on one of our uh, home loans, like it's the mortgage is trash, like horrific. And I know I said it before, but I'll say it again just because of how no, it's, it's worth it. I, I've seen the rates. It's, I would pass it. To, I'm surprised you're not naming the bank, but I'll leave that out. <laughs> I'm trying to be a nice guy. Trash. Um, but what I do know is that a lot of the banks that exist now, first tier, second tier, will rechange and try and acquire new customers and they will have some good packages that will come out maybe at the moment in November. It's just not that time. Like they're like, cool, like we just don't need that many new customers. We don't care too much about it. I'm, like, I'm happy to wait another month or two, but I'm going to keep my finger on the pulse because when they have a, hey, if you transfer your mortgage over, we're going to give this great rate. We're going to do all of these things. I'm going to be tapping my mortgage broker on the shoulder and be like, hey, go out and uh, refinance this thing because right now it's just not working for me at all. And if you can't get a good rate now, I'll try again next month. I'll try again the month after. Like similar to your seasons, banks have the same for lending. Everything changes readily and they try to retain customers, get new customers, et cetera, and I'm happy to ride those waves because I just yeah, understand. They run, a, they run a business, right? They want to lend Completely. money. I think people forget that at times. <laughs> it can be incredibly hard to be patient though it really can be and how often do you look uh, at your tracking like your like your spreadsheet of your properties how often do you look at it i don't want to answer that (laughs) (laughs) i want to see where your patients are how often do you look at that going i like an outcome mindset i want to do something i want to tweak something how could i improve this how often is that okay so i I do my property books monthly so that means every month um Bookkeeper goes over the whole portfolio, cash in, cash out. We know the state of things. We get a P&L done, uh, a cash flow report, and a balance sheet. So I, every month, review financials property. Uh, sorry, properly for property. Why not? We'll go the double piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. And then routinely, I will see something uh, in content. I'll be watching it, and I'll probably grab it out a second time and do it. Like maybe a scenario will think about something from there. So whenever I'm like plotting next moves or anything like that, I go straight to my tracker and like, well, this is where I'm at. If I was to implement something like is being suggested or looked at here, like we were with the unit blocks, I'm in there looking at it. I try not to be obsessive about it, but I definitely used to be. Yeah. I um, What about you? I mean, since the, what did you call it? The unit block fiasco, <laughs> it's been up every week and I've just been looking at this thing. I'm like, what am I not seeing? And like though every time I look at it, it's like, oh, I'm just going to talk to the property managers and see what else we can tweak. I'm going to talk to the mortgage broker. And, and it, it's interesting, the way that I think about it at the moment where like lending is guaranteed a headwind from what I'm seeing, I go, you know what, mortgage broker, love you to death. And I, I love the guy's name's Aaron. He's awesome. Really happy. We bought some properties in a great time. Now it's not a great time. Now we're going to feel the pain together. We're going to work through this, right? Because it's not just always good times and sunshines and rainbows. It's like the team that surrounds you that helps you with this, buyers, agents, mortgage brokers, property managers, et cetera. It's like in the not great times, they show themselves. 
Uh, and to his credit, like he's done awesome. Like he's gone out and about it. Like he's really sort of looked at it, but I'm leaning on him hard to say, this is the situation I'm in. It's not great, is it? No, it's not great. Awesome. Let's go and fix this one up. So I'm actually leaning heavier on the people that I use in my property portfolio for them to sort of come back because when it's heyday, I'm going to remember when they helped me out and go, hey, like you helped me out during a not great time. So I'm actually using those relationships as much as I possibly can. I tell you what, I've been very impressed with Aaron and his ability to get finance options. So uh, I can see he's absolutely, yeah, I mean, in this case, it hasn't necessarily resulted in new lending, but I've been very impressed with the different options and strategies. And I think good mortgage brokers will shine in this time. And I think a lot of people are going to find out if their broker is actually any good. It's way too commoditized, right? People think all mortgage brokers are the same. The general consensus is they're very similar and they've all got access to the same panels. I don't think people will necessarily appreciate the art of lending and what can be done strategically across things. But I wanted to ask you a question. I know you're keen to dig into that one, but as like, to your earlier point, do you believe that property happens in cycles or seasons like the weather or are you more of a like it's a gradual linear type thinker? Because of where my mind is at, like I always, like in business, I always think about decades in advance. It's like what is the decision that I'm making now that's going to have a greater impact over the next couple of decades? And so inadvertently, it's the exact same thought that I have towards property right? Like I'm not even looking at the peaks and troughs, which is why I have to open my spreadsheet to go, oh, wait, hang on. There's something I can do now to actually make it a bit better because my mind's already like looking 20, 30 years ahead going, yep, like inflation is going to prop up the portfolio. Debt is going to be inflated away. Uh, the assets are good assets, which is desirable assets that people want, which means the assets will increase at, as well. I'm happy with- Not financial that. advice. Not financial not fun. advice. I'm happy Please about my portfolio. Please speak to What is it? I'm happy about my portfolio. I don't know about anyone else's. Um, and so the way that I naturally I look at it is just too long. Like I just, what's the analogy they always say? It's like going from Melbourne to Sydney and hitting a pothole halfway. Like you'll never remember it. It's like I'll never look back and remember that, hey, there was this time where lending was this headwind. Because hey, do you two, think we're going to, years from now, not be as annoyed about what happened in the unit block fiasco? I love it's got a well, like, th- name now. In, in 30 years' time, I don't think we will because there will be so many things like at one of our houses might get burnt down, knock on wood. Like there will be bigger things than this. <laughs> like saying no to a unit block is a pretty small blip on a radar. Like, And so I always think that far ahead because I think if I'm living too much in the here and now um, – it will just distort my view. It'll, it'll make me make silly short-term decisions on a very long-term game. And so that, that's more what I'm thinking. Like I'd much prefer to have a good relationship with my mortgage broker, buyer's agent, property managers, et cetera, than try and burn them to go and try and find a like 10 bucks a week more rent or something like that. Like I just like, nope, we're all in this together. Let's go. Cause in the long term, these are the relationships that I want to make sure they continue to thrive. So to answer your question in a very long way, down to a short way, no, I just think linear. Like I understand there are cycles and yes, they go up and down. And yes, lending is headwinds and tailwinds at times. But for some reason, my brain just always looks at, well, Grant, when you're 60, what do you think? What about you? I actually believe in the seasons and the cycles. So a little bit different. So I, do, I do as well. But I've. But do you not just look on the other side and just go, yeah, there's these cycles and everything and I'll play them as they come. But at the end of the day, it is the mechanism that I'm investing in, not just trying to win each cycle. I think it's dangerous to think about property as a a linear game. 
I think it sets people up to the idea of like I can get 6% every year and I should be playing towards that. Like you're, the way you articulated it, I, I can understand your rationale behind your thinking, but in the way I've thought about property is the idea that uh, people get lured into these averages. Like, you know, Grant, the S&P has returned, you know, 10% a year oh, on yeah, average. Yeah. I or, get you. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I've always thought about, and, and the stat in Australia, I don't know this one exactly off the top of my head, is like, you know, property on average does 6% a year. But I'm like, what, nationally? And it's like, what about your property? <laughs> I'm sure some went down 6% a year. So totally. the alluring nature of thinking that all property doubles every seven years and building a strategy around that, I think is just incredibly dangerous. So no, for me is like, I believe in the like macro cycle of property in Australia and even like the cycles of the world. So whether these are like global events like the GFC or pandemics or the dot-com crash. And then I also believe in like localized uh, cycles or business cycles. I think there's cycles everywhere colliding with each other continually. So I'm curious. I want to unpick pick that a bit. So I, I agree that there are cycles and I agree that things go up and go down and there are markets in markets wholeheartedly. Do you try and buy based on cycles? Yeah, I'm a market timer. Interesting. And I'll share why. So um, this is, this is just my beliefs here. I'm not ask, necessarily asking people to take on my opinions uh, or even share my views. But clearly, if you look at the raw numbers, there's better times and worse times to buy property or other assets. You can go and backdate it. It's like, oh, yeah, it would have been a good idea to buy that then. Now, I believe you can actually develop some skill in recognizing timing. Now, can you time bottoms exactly? I, I don't think that's so. But can you be prepared to seize opportunities when a bottom appears? Yes. So, for example, I got myself into a very strong position uh, prior to the pandemic of the last few years. So I was in that strong position. I saw some opportunities because prices had fallen and my belief was, well, in the view I have, now's the time to see something. So I am timing the market. Am I trying to predict these timings? No. But was that a timed play? Yes. And then on the other side of things, like let's look at this in a a business sense because that's where I come from. I'm a business guy is like when I looked at what was going on on the the internet, the early internet, right? So we, you know, I've been in business about 10 years now and I'm going, you're telling me you can advertise on Google and it costs this much compared to the yellow pages? I I was timing the market just from a different world. So I, I think market timing is capable and many people will even look and see that they've probably even participated in trends. I think the uh, long-term trends are probably easier to time than the short-term ones. Like, can you imagine being a day trader and trying to time charts and stuff? I think that would be intense. Mad respect to those guys that do it. Yeah, they got some serious discipline. I, I get, I get what you're saying, and I will concur to it. The way, so to articulate that in the point. So as of right now, assessing which asset I want to acquire. Like I, I said no to the thing, right, which is a re- response to the current market and me going, how can I win at this? To If I was just to do like a pure, in your example now, uh, to do a pure linear, definitely not. Like I'm not sitting there just acquire, acquire, acquire. Any property will do because over a period of time it should win. Uh, definitely not. Like I'm always looking to make sure that whatever I buy is a good asset, whether it's for cash flow, whether it's for capital growth, depending on my strategy. Um, it's just the way that I think about it is, is this something I'm going to have for the next 30, 40 years as opposed to 
based on where I'm at now, do I want to sell it down? Do I, what do I want to do? I'm, I'm more in the camp of I want to acquire to hold for a very, very long period of time. But the asset that I buy at that point in time needs to be a good asset and it can't be a lazy asset. And if I've got any assets that are lazy, I'm getting rid of them because I want good assets. And so I'll always sort of react in that way. And I concur that there are cycles in markets um, and probably from a short-term thinking, like I definitely do play those cycles. I just always try and come back to a non-knee-jerk reaction going, yeah, if they've dropped 5%, do I want to sell it? No, Grant, this is a good asset. Like (laughs) hold on to that thing for a long period of time where a lot of people will go, oh, the market's dropping. Maybe I want to get out. Similar to like buying shares and they just go, I'm out. I'm done. But aren't you impressed right. by the dollar cost average guys? Like I, I must say the people that let's say start investing in 20 and just invest the same amount every week or every month for long durations, like <clears throat> there's something in me and this is a Charlie problem, not a does the strategy work, but you would have to make the argument that the all the research and things around dollar cost averaging does come out pretty well. It it definitely does. But I, th- I actually think that it, it almost like protects humans from themselves because it makes them non-reactive to things because it's like, well, what's the quickest way to get from one place to another? Well, just keep it at 60. Like just go 60 the whole way instead of going and hitting a whole heap of traffic lights, hitting 110, stopping, pulling over, doing all these things. It's like just be the so It's also harder to dollar cost average in property, right? Because it is a lumpy asset. So like you do have some timing risk with it. I, I, I would say that I recognize this in myself as an investor of going like I am a market timer, I am active and I'm not trying to be someone who's doing dollar cost averaging. Although, again, huge respect. But I think knowing about yourself as an investor in that way can be powerful. Now, I wanted to keep this episode a little bit more focused on lending, although I did feel like there were some great um, conversations in there, Grant. The thing I was thinking about when it comes to this, one of the concerns I had is I would think it's very easy to take on a shitty loan right now that would actually impede future moves. So if you looked at lending and go, well, do you know what? I can, you know, I'm going to take this seven percent loan and an asset that I'm now negatively geared, for example, that that might actually hampen someone's uh, strategy long term. And I'm like, well, if I was to, in this example, take on this unit block, what does it mean for borrowing the property after? And uh, I didn't like what I saw there either, Grant. So what's your take? Yeah, I saw it as like this one sort of shot. Like it's like I had one bullet and one gun and then I was just, it was empty. And then I just had to ride the waves until I can either fill the next deposit myself through the cash that I earn or like just wait for the next property increase in value. Like it it was, it would turn a, a cash flow positive property portfolio into something that might not be as cash flow positive or for that particular property negative where I'm sitting there going, that's going to have second and third order consequences where the next time I go, hey, I'm looking to buy another property, they're going to evaluate the assets that I have and be like, this thing's not good. Like you've got liabilities sitting in here like that are actually going to inhibit your ability to pay for the next one. Like this is not like they're taking it off my borrowing capacity after my earnings. And I'm just like, I, I can't have that. I want the properties to help add to it or at least be net zero where they will continue to lend to me because I just want to continue playing this game and it's not worth it on me buying an asset that I think over one, two, three, four years time might go from potentially negatively geared to positively geared. When I have an opinion and pure speculation on this, 
that I don't think interest rates are going to drop back down to what they were previously. Like I'm anticipating a little bit more of an increase and I go, so uh, even I think that this is where it's going to be for at least a substantial amount of time. Why would I play a game for right now? Why wouldn't I play a game to find a better asset or to market the time the market slightly differently? Like it's just, and I always come back to this concept of a lazy asset. I just don't want an asset that is lazy or pulling down everything else because everything else is just propping up this one property. And I'm just like, it's no bueno. Yeah, taking on something that can potentially like, as to use your term, that lazy asset, buying one asset that then prevented you from making future moves or buying one asset that messed up the lending so you can, uh, can't can do other things is a real danger. And I can see, uh, especially that negative gearing thing, if you get negatively geared enough on a portfolio, it's so reliant on your income and your borrowing power is just being reduced so heavily that it can be quite dangerous. Uh, an insight I had on this when I was uh, reviewing it for myself is like all the uh, money I save for my next deposit. So let's just say uh, my business is earning a profit, I take some out and I put it into a savings account, which is actually an offset account. The cash that's sitting there for the next deposit is actually offsetting the loan cost on an existing property, right? So when I, uh, let's say, use that deposit to fund the next property, where that cash was sitting in the offset, it actually impacts the cash flow on that asset. So again, it's like, yeah. yeah, I've had to change my thinking on this. Like even if I have the cash technically, I'm kind of thinking now, well, if I look at my reporting and my bank balances and I'm factoring in cash, I'm kind of buying everything with 100% debt because as soon as I take that cash out of the offset account and I put it into that new property, well, I've created more debt on the property it was sitting on. So it's really <laughs> reframed my thinking about like how I'm utilizing cash and deposits and offset accounts as well. I did the calculation on the difference on the monthly cash flow of the assets where I would be taking it out of the offset accounts and putting it into the new ones. And I'm like, oh man, this is just even worse. <laughs> it's like robbing from Peter to pay Paul. Like I'm just taking these good cash flow positive assets with decent amounts of money in like offsets and I'm turning them to not be as good, which makes them not look as appealing to the bank just to prop up this other property. And I'm like, so this is like a double and triple whammy to me, like just to buy this one asset. It's not just that one property impacting my borrowing capacity. It's what else is it doing to my my cash flow and the other properties? So I, I love that. And I'm actually glad that you brought that up because I, I, I found that one to be sort of eye-watering of going, maybe, I'm not even disappointed of just cash sitting in a bank account. I'm just... <laughs> It's All right, well, let's wrap this one up. I was on a roll. I could have kept going. I'm joking. Maybe. <laughs> I'm done. All right, for everyone listening to it, give us a little bit more, Grant and Charlie. Uh, feel free to head over to propertyandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your deets. Let Charlie ping you, spam you, send love. Whatever he does, I'll, I'll read them one day. Uh, and I just want to say thank you very much for joining us. And we'll catch you on the next episode of Property and Investing.